Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? I'm going to start today with a question, um, deep theological question. What did um, John the Baptist eat in the wilderness? Honey and locusts. But did he eat locusts or did he eat locusts? Yeah, the first slide, please. Was it locusts? Next one. Those sorts of locusts. Or next one. These sorts of locusts. Did anyone know there's two types of locusts that were found in um, the wilderness in the first century Jerusalem? Makes you think, doesn't it? What's my point? Well, my point is the Bible can be a, a, a confusing book, okay? And I've gone through years only knowing about one type of locust, the grasshopper kind, you know? Um, but for me to learn that the locust plant was native in the wilderness in first century Jerusalem, wow, you know, that just makes me think maybe he ate them, not the grasshopper kind. Sort of changes your thinking about what John the Baptist might have been like. Anyway, but maybe I was injecting my understanding of what a locust was onto scripture rather than pulling out of scripture what the real meaning was. Okay? And with a little bit of cultural understanding, and in this case some wildlife knowledge, um, scripture can give some context. Let me show you something else. Another example is this. Um, these, so these are the words of Jesus to the church of Laodicea. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So maybe you've heard a sermon about this and maybe you've heard a good sermon. Um, but if I look at this passage without any understanding, you know, of what the church of Laodicea was even like, you know, and I'll probably come up, you know, with something drawing out of my thinking. Make sense? So I've heard, you know, people sort of say, well, God wants you to be a hot, on fire Christian, okay? So, well, yeah, that sort of makes sense. But don't be one of those lukewarm Christians, okay? Because he'll end up spitting you out of his mouth. Anyone heard anything like this? Okay. Well, it sort of makes sense until you get to the cold bit. So if God wants you to be hot or cold, does that mean it's okay to be cold for God? Does that mean he'd rather you be an atheist and a hot Christian rather than a lukewarm Christian? Nah, doesn't make much sense to me. Okay? So if we look at a map of Laodicea, I can't see it too well, but there's two yellow dots and the city of Laodicea is in the middle down there. So the, it was surrounded by two cities, Colossae and Aeropolis. And, um, excuse me. Archaeologists have found aqueducts on the north and the south of these cities. And they would pipe in uh, from one of those cities, uh, I don't remember which, it was Aeropolis or whatever, hot water 
mineral springs, and from the other side, cold water through these two aqueducts. Okay, and in Laodicea, the hot water was used for, um, you know, bathing, cleaning, and they manufactured, um, you know, they, fabrics, fabric dyeing, whatever that word is. And the cold water is good for drinking. So immediately we start to see there's some context here. So instead of me putting my interpretation on there, I've got a little bit of cultural understanding to pull out what it means. So Jesus is saying, you know, which makes sense to them there, you can be hot, which is good for, good for these things. It's useful. Cold is also useful. I'd rather you be cold because cold's good for drinking. I'd rather you be hot. But when they mix, they become lukewarm. Okay? That's the best interpretation I've heard people come up with. So instead of me injecting my understanding over the Bible with this context, I can pull out some understanding. So these are just a couple of examples um, of understanding, you know, in this case some geography can give some understanding to the Bible. And I've been studying the Bible um, over the past couple of years, and my goal has not been, I guess, reading the Bible so much as trying to understand the Bible, okay? And I, I, I research and I pull out these little nuggets here and here, and it's like I'm painting this uh, canvas. You know, I paint a little leaf over here and a lake over here, and uh, there's a picture of a mountain, and it's starting, I'm starting to step back and I'm starting to see this picture of what, what, if the Bible was drawn on a canvas, what's the whole picture of it? So when I start to sim stand back and look at the whole canvas, I start to see something that looks like this. The next slide, please. The story of God with man. So wherever I open this book, you know, whether it's a story about Adam and Eve, um, Abraham, Deborah, David, Paul, it's the story of man journeying with God through partnership. So just click the next word, partnership. Partner's hip. There you go. I did try and fix the slide, but obviously there's some problems. Anyway, we see several times in the Old Testament God cementing this partnership and he does this through uh, the covenants that we see. And I've spoken about covenants and I'm going to touch on it a little bit again. Um, but we see there's five major covenants uh, in the Bible and these covenants take centre stage around the relationship of God with uh, man. So we have man with God, the covenant journey of man with God. Oh, we're not ready for that bit. Okay, but the story is not full of roses, okay? Along the way, um, on this covenant journey with man and God together, it can be good at times, it can be bad, and it can be ugly. All right? So the title of my sermon is The Story of God and Man, subtitled um, The Covenant Journey of Man with God, sub subtitled the good, the bad, and the ugly. Longest sermon title ever. And it's all framed 
around partnership. Okay? Now, some of you might disagree, and Neil say, don't you mean relationship? Well, yes, I agree with that statement, okay? But um, man and God is a relationship, yes. But today, I just wanted to zero in and focus on partnership, okay? And hopefully you'll see by the end why. So right through the whole Bible, we see this partnership. It changes, it ebbs and flows, it grows, it gets stretched. But whatever the circumstance, whatever the circumstance man finds himself in, God is with him, good, bad and ugly. So Acts 17 uh, really seems to frame this sentiment well, in my opinion, which is up on the slide, please. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands. And if he needed anything, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everyone else. For one man, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries and their land. So we're seeing this theme, God is working with man. Next slide. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for we live and move and have our being. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. He is not far from any one of us. This, to me, sums up God's heart and his pursuit of relationship and partnership with man. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. So in showing you this, I thought a really good place to show this partnership and its full extent would be the flood. Actually, What we run across to in the events of the flood is it surrounds the very first covenant we see in Scripture. And these covenants, as I said, are like concrete markers in the Old Testament um, of, you know, God's partnership and relationship with man. And hopefully you'll start to see this. So Genesis 6, verse 5. You can have a look at that later. Keep going. Genesis 6, thank you. So the main theme here, we see, uh, actually we better read it first, hey. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil at the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe them off from the face of the earth Mankind, who I created, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favour in the sight of the Lord. One of the main themes that's coming out of here is that God felt grief in his heart. He'd regretted making man. He felt this grief and regret that man had turned out so evil. I mean, like, as the parent of the human race, if you were God, can you even imagine creating man and they turn out that every thought from their youth is evil and wicked? Even as a 
earthly father. That's unimaginable, you know. God was grieved that every man's inclination was evil, but he could not let it continue. He had to do something about it. So he found Noah, and he saved Noah and his family. And then he gave everyone else 120 years, and then said, I'm going to send a flood. But if we look at the relationship here between God and man, we can clearly see that God still had strong feelings towards man. His grief, his regret in his heart. And as he said, as I said, he left them with 120 years. And Peter in the New Testament talks about that Noah um, tried to preach to them. Uh, but in the end, none of them listened and the flood came. Now, after the flood, on the next slide, please, we see the covenant that God makes with Noah. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings uh, on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said, I will never curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. So this is the logic of God. I will never destroy the world again with a flood because of man. Even though I know their thoughts are evil from their youth. Does that make logical sense? So Scott Stevens here, he is a 5,000 BC, whenever the flood was, you know, wicked man. He's a wretched evil man. Okay? Back then, that's right, exactly. So he's before Christ, he's born of Adam, and he has evil in his heart. Every thought in his heart is evil. So even though I as God know the state of those things in his heart, and it most likely might even happen again, I promise I'm never going to destroy the earth again. It's an ugly story. Okay, but to me, that speaks volumes about God's heart and his pursuit to restore and have relationship and with man. It's an ugly story, but it speaks volumes, even in the ugliness of his heart to bring restoration to man. Can you hear the longing in God's heart? You know, when he says, I'm grieved, they've turned out bad. So this is God and man in partnership, the covenant journey of man, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We then move on to the story of Abraham, which I covered in detail last time, so I'm not going to go there. But God calls Abraham and speaks all these promises and blessings to him. You know, you're going to be the father of all nations, and through the nations, you know, Abraham, your offspring, um, is going to bless the world, you know, which turns out to be Isaac and Jesus. Um, and we see God even ends up calling Abraham his friend. Okay? God drew near and had good relationship with Abraham. 
we see that God is never far from Abraham in his journey. We then come to Moses. Oh, there's, there's little pictures there just to... So that's Abraham and the covenant giving the good news to the um, cows he's going to cut in half. So the next one, Moses. So we then come to Moses and God wants to make a covenant with the whole nation of Israel and invites everyone to come up the mountain and make everyone in a priest. But a few verses later, we see that's not exactly what happens. In fact, no one is allowed to come up the mountain except for Moses and a few, of, um, and a few other people. And the promise that everyone will become a priest doesn't happen. In fact, only one tribe, the Levites, become priests. And then we see that the people have to relate God through the priests and the temple system. And Moses has to meet God in the temple, behind the veil, over the mercy seat. So the nature of this partnership has also changed. But even though through the temple system, you know, all the rules and regulations that were set up around that, God was still making a way for there to be partnership and relationship between himself and man. So the covenant journey continues. We then get to King David and the next covenant. David's just finished building himself uh, a big house. And he says, I've got this big house. And he's like completing, sitting, thinking, oh, the ark, it's out with um, Obed-Edom, isn't it? In a little house over there. Why, why don't I build you a house, God? I've got a house. I, I think you should have a house. Anyway, Nathan the prophet hears this and has a dream that night and basically says, um, God says, you know, what, what, what am I going to do with a house? You know, I, I'm the God of the universe. I, I don't live in houses. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build you a house, David. And one day, my son, God's son, will sit on your throne, David. So God's made a promise that his son will sit on David's throne. And we know he's talking about Jesus. But once again, we see this is a picture of God pursuing man's heart. You know, God is always there through the good, the bad, and the ugly. God is revealing through each covenant more and more about himself and that one day he will send the promised Messiah through the offspring of David and the offspring of Abraham. Or to say this another way, God says, I'm going to fulfill my promises for you through you. Does that make sense? Partnership. Amongst all the mess of humanness of man, even though every inclination of man's heart was evil from its youth, he decides the best way to birth Jesus is through the lineage of man. Personally, I think that's staggering. But once again, it also says volumes about God's heart and his pursuit for relationship and partnership with man. Now, when we get to the New Testament, 
things get a whole lot different. So Jesus arrives, and Hebrews 1, I think I've got a slide for this one, Thea. No, I don't. Sorry. Go back. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of the oath of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is the exact representation. And in the past, God spoke to man in various ways, it says, but now he's speaking flesh to flesh, which shows even that his heart more is to be with man, simply by becoming a man. But this partnership we've seen is about to take on a whole new level. You see, Jesus came and said, I'm, here I am. You know, obviously, I'm paraphrasing the Bible, so don't go and look for this verbatim in Scripture. I've arrived in the flesh just like you. And that's kind of like step one. Here I am, just like you. Step two, proclaim I'm the king, okay, and establish my kingdom on the earth, okay? So I'm the king, I've established my, I, I go on as Jesus, I establish the kingdom on the earth. What's next? Well, step three is a demonstration. So Jesus starts to demonstrate what the kingdom is like. So he starts saying things like, well, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say love your enemy. You've heard the law says love your neighbour as yourself. But I'm giving you a new command that says, love everyone as I have loved you. So, and then he starts to heal some people and do some miracles. So up to that point, it's actually pretty normal when a normal king would come into town and what a normal king would do. So as a normal king, I'd come in, I'd declare, I'm king, you know, and I'm going to tell you what it's like living under my rule. And I might give you a demonstration of that, maybe some gold or or whatever, you know, and you can then decide if you want to live under my rule. So people know fairly clearly that if they say yes to the Jesus, it's going to be like this, okay? Uh, so you're king, and, okay, and it's your kingdom, and it's a kingdom of love, and you can heal people and do some miracles. And that's, that's pretty normal, okay? But then he takes it further, and he says, I am king, so I've established my kingdom, but with all my authority as king, I'm giving you the kingdom. So Jesus, as king, gives the kingdom to man and says things like, you know, the kingdom belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to the little children. The kingdom of God is within you. You see... A king has authority to rule the people. But Jesus says, I'm not going to rule over you. I'm going to give you the kingdom. Jesus has invited man to share in the kingdom. And this takes the story of partnership to a different level. Let's look at a couple of stories so I hope this makes, starts to make sense to you. 
So Jesus in the boat, asleep in the boat. Okay, we can have that little slide of we're all going to die. Okay, so he's in the and he's asleep in the boat uh, with the disciples. And what are the what are the disciples? What's their trade? Fishermen. So do they know boats? So they come and say, Jesus, there's a big storm. We're about to die. So the storm's pretty rough, okay? If they're fishermen, they know boats, it's a pretty rough storm. Okay. So Jesus gets up, wakes up, tells the storm to quieten down. And do you know what he says next? He turns to his disciples and says, are you all okay? You know, that storm was really, really scary. Thanks for waking me up. I'm really glad you woke me up. Otherwise, we'd all be dead. Thank you for waking me up so I could calm the storm down for you. That's not in the Bible. Just You know what he actually says? He turns around and says, where is your faith? Woof. talking about Jesus I've got faith I've got faith that you are God I saw the storm that was we were going to die so I woke you up because my faith is in you I needed you big time you are God aren't you I'm only a mere fisherman what could I have done I woke up so you could fix the situation I have faith in you because you can do anything because this is the sort of relationship we have, isn't it? I wake you up and you do your God stuff. Well, that's not in the Bible either. Let's come back to that. We move on to a story of feeding the 5,000, okay? And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we've got no bread. Send the people away, okay? Um, let them go find their own food. And he turns around and he says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. All right, so that's half a denarii for some fish and some tartar sauce. and that, That's a year's wages, Jesus. You're, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? You know? You're God, I'm not. I, what, are you, what are you expecting me to do? You see, we have these two trains of thought. On one side, we have to ask and we have to plead and we have to stand at the door and knock and we have to wake Jesus up in the boat. And when we pray for someone, we're like, please, God, you know, we need you. We need you. And on the other side, we're like, you didn't get healed because you don't have enough faith. You know, maybe you're so much you're a sinner. There's so much sin in your life, blah, 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 blah. You know, these are two extremes I don't hold to, Okay. But I think there's a really happy middle ground where our understanding can sit. You see, when Jesus stood up in the boat and said, where is your faith? I think he was really saying, um, why'd you have to wake me up? Where's your faith that you could tell the wind and the waves to be quiet? And when he says, you feed them, Jesus was saying, the kingdom has come. I've invited you 
to be part of the kingdom. Therefore, you know what that comes with when you're part of the kingdom? All the resources of the king that come with that. The kingdom of God is within you and you have access to resources. So you go feed them. Jesus was showing them that partnership meant that they didn't just have the kingdom, but they had the access to do the miraculous stuff like he was doing. The resources of the kingdom was at hand. People are hungry, so go feed them. You are part of the kingdom. So there is no hunger in the kingdom of God. So understand that when you have the kingdom within you, it means you have the resources of the kingdom, just like Jesus does. The storm in which they were going to die, use your authority. Tell the wind and the waves to die down. I've given you the kingdom, and you get to partake in that authority too. Jesus is showing that the partnership has changed. We're like kings in God's kingdom, which means you can spend the resources like a king. And this has taken this relationship to the next level. But there's some other pieces to this. How do we take hold of this kingdom? How do we walk in this partnership? How do we get it into us? How do we live it? Let's look at John 5. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more for breaking the Sabbath. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself and can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead, excuse me, and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom it pleases him, uh, whom he is pleased to give it. So when I'm at home with my kids, I try to model stuff that I'd like them to learn. You know, so when I'm in the garden, I'm digging this weed and and Isaac comes over and I show him how to do it. And um, yep, he digs it out a few times. No, no, you do it like this or whatever. You know, and he, 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 he then starts to get it. Okay, and he goes, Dad, can I do this one? And yep, okay, that one. Oh, no, no, that one's a plant, not a weed, okay? Um, and then he starts off, he goes off and starts doing himself. And he goes, Dad, can you help me with this big weed? I, I just can't get it out. So he's caught on to what I'm showing him. Jesus is saying here that he's not watching the Father asking for permission to heal this person or to calm the storm. Okay? He is saying, if the Father was here, he would do the same thing that I would do right now if I come in the storm. I am in him and he is in me. It's just like saying I'm the exact representation of my father. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. And my nature is the same as the father's nature. So when he says I'm only 
doing what the Father is doing means I know the nature of my Father. And if he was here right now, he would do the exact same thing that I'm going to do. Except I'm here. So I'm going to do what he would do if he was here. Jesus, this is another piece of the puzzle. And Jesus invites us to step into that place and learn to take on the nature of Christ. So that he will be in us and we will be in him. So when we are in that situation, we know the nature of Jesus and we're like, um, Jesus, do you want me to feed this poor person that's hungry? Hang on, I'm waiting for instructions. I know the nature of the Father. And we do this together in partnership. So we get to share and grow in that process. And yes, I know, it's easier said than done. And that's why God is so patient with us. Okay? He's very patient with us. Let's look at John 15. John 15, please, Thea. Should be the, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you, commit, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you, this so that your joy so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete my command is this love each other as i have loved you you see bring up the picture of the the grapevine please when i look at a grapevine i see a couple of things sometimes it's hard to tell which bit is the vine and which bit is the branch Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branch. And I think this is how Jesus wants us to become. And look, if you remain in him, you will, as the branch, you will learn his nature. And you will eventually start to look like the vine. And secondly, the fruit generally comes from the branches. But it needs the vine to produce the fruit. You can't produce the fruit without the vine. Now, Jesus goes on with this partnership story and leaves us the Holy Spirit. He has chosen to make his home with us so much that we are now called the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. And in this temple, our bodies, there is no barrier, no veil anymore. 
This is the kind of partnership we are living in now. You know, we started with God with man, and now it extends to the point of God in man through the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is in you, and you have access. And that means you have access to all the resources of the kingdom because he has shared it with you. And by remaining in him and learning and knowing the nature of that, nothing is impossible with God. You know, sometimes we sing that song, nothing is impossible for you, God. You look it up in the Bible, it's nothing is impossible with God. And I finish my sermon today where I started with Acts 17. God is near every man. Just waiting for him to reach out and find him. Calling him into partnership and relationship more and more. And you know, when I'm speaking today, I'm not speaking out of my experience. Okay? I'm not speaking. I'm speaking here out of my intention. Okay? This is my intention. I'm nowhere a branch looking like the vine. I'm nowhere looking like Jesus. I feel I'm just starting to understand this. Okay? And I, maybe you're further down the road than me. I hope you are. You know, but whatever you know, whatever point you are, God is patient. You know, he went on this journey, this covenant journey in the Old Testament through man, through the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, but we're getting to that point where it's like, well, the kingdom of God is within us. And he's saying, you know, well, you, you go feed them. You, you've got the resource. Hmm, got to work that one out still a bit, Lord. It's a tricky one. You tell the storm. You tell the wind and waves to be quiet. We're running a workshop uh, next Sunday night, as John spoke about before, about empowering people um, to help, you know, during ministry time. And there are many, many practical uh, and scriptural elements uh, that are important that I'm sure John will go through. But I would like to encourage you, if you want to come along to that, John 15, read John 15 a few times and just meditate on that and um, let that sink in that you are trying to learn God's nature. And out of that nature, you'll get to know his goodness. And that goodness means you can do good works. You don't have to go back to the Father and say, should I, should I heal this person, Lord? You know, Jesus would do it. Pick up Jesus' nature and remain in him. And Jesus says, you will do greater things greater things than me. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you'd just like to um, start to, if you'd like to deepen this understanding of Jesus' nature, that God is within you, wherever you are in the journey, I'd love to pray for you. If you'd just like to stand, and I'd just like to pray for, for you. Just stand where you are.
I want to pray for an encounter of God in man in you, for this to come alive in you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have chosen to make our bodies your temple and that your spirit dwells deep inside of us, that through the mess of all our lives, you know, that we even look back to our own lives. We don't have to look back to to the covenants. We just look at our own life and we see it's been a messy journey. It's been a good journey. It's been difficult at times. But Holy Spirit, even through that, You have chosen to make our bodies the temple of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll bring a a deeper revelation of God in man to us and that the kingdom of God is within us and that we are the branches and if we remain in you, we will produce good fruit. So Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you, Holy Spirit.